0: Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and
2: gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, a very timely went to talk about energy security. Um, energy security has always been important since Uh, The fleet in uh, Britain decided to change their fuel from coal to oil, Uh, but obviously coming to today many things have evolved, but having passing the Saudi attack uh, a few days ago, uh, the turbulence in the market, and observing how things reacted to uh, this massive uh, disruption of oil, uh, the market was not shocked, uh, the the reality and the role of the inventory. So a lot of a lot of new things uh, to catch up. We're very lucky today to have uh, Professor Sujata Ashwarya. It's uh, actually very dear to me, an old friend from the time that I was a student in India. Uh, and I learned a lot from her, obviously. Uh, we're lucky to have her in Washington, d c. She's now a fellow with East West Center. Uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, of course a uh, professor at the uh, Johnny Millia Islamia University in uh, India. She has a very extensive uh, experience of through her fellowships and lots of travels around the world. She lived a lot in Middle East, India, aside from India, in Israel. she. Uh, lived and studied uh, and did lots of research in Iran, in different regions in Iraq, and she has uh, co-authored and edited uh, five books, uh, which uh, we are going to discuss her uh, latest book today, Israel's Mediterranean Gas, uh, Domestic Governance, uh, Economic Impact and Strategic Implications. So she would be a perfect person to tell us about the latest update of the Mediterranean gas um, discoveries uh, and how Israel turned from being a net importer of coal, coal and oil to of gas and how that is going to impact the whole uh, dynamic, geopolitical dynamic of the regions, the trade flow and the whole uh, energy security of both the region and global uh, energy security uh, of the world. So I'm not going to speak a lot. I'm going to pass it to her and we are anxiously waiting for you to let us know more about this topic. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction. Good afternoon, everyone. I'll just begin by by showing you my book. This is what I've published uh, two months ago. This book came out in the market uh, in June, by Routledge. Okay. What a day to talk about Israel and things are changing in Israel, and we have the election result and. Things are going to change, it, it seems, and let's hope so, for the better. So uh, let me begin my uh, presentation. Uh, I'm going to talk about energy security of Israel in the context of the gas discoveries in Mediterranean waters about two decades ago. So the basic outline of my presentation would be, I'll talk a little bit about Israel's energy scenario and the status of gas. Secondly, I will take up the multifaceted energy security strategy. What are the problems in it and what are the prospects? How does Israel now uh, you know, live with the gas that it has found about two decades ago? So it's exactly two decades. In 19, June 1999, the first gas was found in in the Mary B. Lees uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. So uh, until recently, uh, Israel was a, a poor, energy poor country. It is rich in uh, many other things, but energy poor, and it's still probably. Uh, is still dependent on uh, a lot on uh, energy import. However the uh, offshore natural gas has alleviated the energy security uh, problem, has moderated uh, Israel's complete reliance on imported fuels. Now Israel's crude oil production is almost non-existent. It's about 115,000 tons in 2016 which is nothing. Iran was, Iran's was 216 million tons and Saudi Arabia's was 586 million tons in 2016. So the uh, the crude oil production and that uh, onshore crude oil production is very very small minuscule you can see. Israel has no known coal reserves. So imported oil meets about 99% of oil demand. Everything that all the oil that Israel really uses in transportation and in industry is imported And out of this 99%, about 80% uh, is crude oil, which is refined locally and, uh, and Israel imports all of its coal So And coal is used in production of electricity, it's not used in any other transformation so despite the discoveries israel is still vulnerable to uh, to supply shocks why because transportation sector is totally dependent on imported oil on on gasoline and diesel but uh, there has never been a moment in israeli history where uh, israel was not was unable to supply energy for its economic requirement. And that's also a truth. How it gets oil, oil, we do not know. There is no published account, there is no published data about uh, procurement of oil. It's all a state secret. But we know that Israel runs the transportation sector In Israel runs on oil. So it does get oil from a variety of places. So, uh, securing energy supply has therefore been a major concern of Israeli policymakers. Now, with the onset of gas production, uh, <coughs> Israeli gas production began in 2004, uh, which, uh, mm, you know, yeah, there are decades of uh, dependence on, complete dependence on ex, uh, external supplies began to uh, Abate with the gas production. Beginning of gas production in 2004, natural gas was first discovered in Israeli economic waters in 1999-2000 in the Meribiyes area. Now it marked a new era. Sorry, <coughs> in Israeli energy supply, it significantly improved Israel's energy security boosted, and this was boosted as more gas fields were discovered uh, between uh, 1999 and 2013. In 2009, Israel's Tamar uh, gas field was discovered and it is one of the most prolific gas fields in the world. It was <coughs> a consortium of Noble Energy and Delek um, Group, which is uh, Israeli uh, Exploration and Production Group. It discovered the Tamar field in 2009. Now another discovery, the super giant gas field in 2010, was uh, and uh, that (coughs) Leviathan really makes Israel self sufficient in gas for several decades. Now this uh, has the potential to give Israel energy independence not only abate the uh, import dependency, but really give energy independence Uh, and if the industry and transportation sector shift to natural gas operations. Now there is a a slide, Uh, you can see the natural gas fields. This is the uh, the, uh, Leviathan here, and you have the Tamar field which here is the prolific field that I am talking about. Leviathan has not come online as yet. It's going to come online um, in December 2000 or January 2020. You have smaller fields, Tamim, Karish, Dalit, Dolphin. This is the first field that was discovered, Meribi, in Israeli territorial waters. It is now depleted. Meribi and Noah, they are depleted now. So, uh, so natural gas has become the fuel of choice for electricity production. In 2017, 63% of electricity came from natural gas, 32% from coal, and the rest came from solar power. So, share of, of coal has progressively declined. Out of the total supply of 10.35 BCM uh, in 2018, BCM, that is a whopping 83% 83 was used for power generation. Uh, Industrial sector consumed 1.81 uh, BCM or 17.5%. So most of the natural gas is now used in power generation, more than 80%. But uh, despite the uh, increasing use of natural gas in the economy, in, in power generation, and in the industrial sector, there is no natural gas-based transportation, which is entirely fueled by gasoline and diesel. A small amount of oil is used in industry in the form of LPG, a derivative of oil, diesel, fuel, oil, and as feeder for the production of NAFTA, petrochemicals. There is a table uh, I have made for uh, Israel's electricity generation by the type of fuel. You can see that uh, the share of natural gas has increased over the past five years. Even 43 percent is a very large number in 2013, and this became this large uh, with the onset of um, uh, onset of Tamar in April 2000. Tamar, the prolific. Uh, Israeli gas field, and you can see the uh, the percentage of coal in the total electricity production has is progressively declining. So, according to uh, BP um, statistical review, the share of natural gas in total primary energy consumption was 33% in 2018 oil stood higher at 45% that's because oil is used for transportation and in the petrochemical industry also some amount of uh, oil is also used in industry and proportion of natural gas in primary energy consumption has progressively increased since oil and coal account for 65% of primary energy consumption israel is dependent or energy dependent and vulnerable two third of um, Israeli energy is important. So vulnerability is obvious. Now, uh, Israel is uh, vulnerable also because it has no electricity grid connection with the neighbors. And that's a function of geopolitics. Polit- political animosity has prevented Israel from any cross-border trade in crude oil or refined products in the region that is rich in oil and gas resources. Geopolitics of Israel's existence also implies the management of risk to its oil, uh, uh, to its gas infrastructure of uh, possible attacks by enemies surrounding Israel. So, the question of energy security is one of the most pressing concerns of Israeli policymakers and is often, uh, often equated with national security. so here you have i have drawn a comparison between 2017 primary energy consumption and 2018 you can see that uh, natural gas has uh, the share of natural gas is increasing you have 33% in 2018 you have 35% so it has but still there are two trends that needs to be uh, needs to be uh, looked into one that israel is, uh, is still very dependent on imported energy because the primary energy consumption uh, the two uh, of oil and uh, oil and coal uh, um, remains very much in the uh, in the reckoning. So, what is uh, Israel's energy security strategy? It has developed is a long-term strategy, and it has evolved over the years uh, to counter the weaknesses of import uh, energy import. And like any other high-consumers, India, China or Turkey, Israel has evolved a very uh, multifaceted energy uh, strategy or policy. So I'm going to take each of these one by one. And these are not watertight compartments. You will see many overlaps in these. The first is broadening of import. In the, uh, in the backdrop of the vagaries of the oil crisis of 1973, coal replaced oil as the primary fuel in power generation. Coal. That's because coal is easily obtainable and is, uh, you know, it can be stored um, easily and it is difficult to embargo. Most coal uh, operators are out, outside the arc of instability, as it is called, the Middle East and Central Asian region, the arc of instability. There are many arcs in the Middle East. Instability is one. There is a crescent, and there are arcs, and many other things. So Israel has never publicly uh, uh, declared who is oil supply. So coal exporters are South Africa, Poland, Australia, Colombia and all are on good political terms with Israel. Now, Israel has never publicly declared who it buys oil supplies from, but until 1979, it might come as a surprise to you, Iran was the primary source of Israeli oil. Now Egyptian oil fields, Israel also got oil from Egyptian oil fields in occupied Sinai. During the period 1968 to 1979, from the occupation of Sinai to the, uh, to, uh, to the Camp David Accord, whereby Israel pulled out of Sinai. Since 1990, supply has come from Angola, Colombia, <clears throat> Mexico, and Norway. And um, since 2005, improved political relations with Russia and Azerbaijan has helped Israel procure 70% of its requirement. That is all from the sources that are available to us. We don't really know where oil comes from. For all, you know Saudi Arabia might be supplying oil. Now, uh, Israel has uh, bought a significant amount of oil from Iraqi Kurdistan. And how does that oil come? Uh, it comes via Turkey's Mersin and Jehan port. Despite the problems, Turkey, uh, political problems that might be there between Turkey and Israel, this conduit has not stopped. So from Irbil and Suleimaniyan, oil uh, is shipped to uh, Mersin and port. From port, of course, there's the Mediterranean Sea. It can be loaded onto the ship and come to uh, Ashdod or Ashkelon, Haifa, any of these ports. So, uh, mm, uh, so these are. This is where uh, Israel has uh, Israeli energy comes from. A variety of sources. Now, uh, I think we have lost uh, early. So there has never been. Uh, there is. Yeah, it did. Okay, I'll, I'll manage. Thank you. Thank you. So there has never been an episode in history where it, uh, uh, Israel has been oil deprived. That has never been, ever been. And now there is also an MOU between Israel and US, which was signed in nineteen seventy-five uh, in the wake of first Sinai disengagement. And it obligates the United States to make oil available for purchase by Israel. So that is uh, quoted from the MOU. Israel also stores oil, has an underground facility somewhere, we do not know, uh, to shield against disruption caused by war, or embargo, or supply shocks. Unlike oil, uh, Israel. Has never. uh, Israel did not import gas, not until till 2007. Uh, uh, Now, with the bombing of regional relations following the 1993 Oslo Accord, Israel also pursued importing oil, uh, importing gas from Qatar. Now we know why Qatar uh, can easily, you know. Give money to Hamas and how they uh, are—they can easily operate in Israel and Palestinian territories. That's because there's a uh, long-standing, you know, uh, kind of talking relations between Israel and Qatar, especially after 1993. Now, with the beginning of Al-Aqsa Intifada in 2000, the MOU an MOU was, was signed and uh, MOU was put aside even as the idea of gas import remained part of, an Israeli, of Israeli discussions and normalization. And here I wish to add that uh, during our visit uh, to uh, Qatar in 2008, Zippy Livni, the Israeli politician, stated that the Arab country was willing to go all the way forward towards normalization of relations with Israel. So if we see a call in relations between Israel and Arab countries these days, it's been long in the making. It hasn't come in the wake of you know, Iranian policy or Iranian you know, emergence suddenly in the Middle East. It's, it's been long in the making, haltingly, but there, ha- there have always been contacts between Israel and the Gulf countries always as in after 1993, for sure. Now, a parallel to talks with Qatar, Israel also explored the possibility of uh, importing gas from uh, Egypt. At the turn of the century, in 2000, the IEC, Israel Electric Corporation, decided to convert the diesel and oil uh, fuel oil power stations to natural gas operations and uh, the government allowed the iac and perhaps galvanized by the discovery of natural gas resources and also that israel was part of uh, israel was uh, very much uh, uh, you know influenced by the kyoto protocol etc so israeli government allowed the iac to negotiate a long term natural gas purchase contract with local or foreign suppliers so what did Israel do? Israel, uh, what did uh, the IEC do? It, after a, a long and protracted negotiation, Israel signed a 15-year contract in August 2005 with EMG, East Mediterranean Gas. Now this is a very, um, a very unique company. It is a, a Egyptian-Israeli company, and I'll talk more about it in Q&A. There's a question on EMG. So EMG was the go uh, go between the IEC and Egyptian suppliers They are state-owned suppliers by the way and they are EGPC and EGAS, two suppliers which means that the government on both sides were uh, were deeply involved in the negotiations So EMG would procure gas from EGPC and EGAS and then uh, transport it across to Israel the contract also gave I C an option of renewing the contract, after, uh, renewing the contract for a five-year term after it expired. At some point during the negotiation, in which the governments were uh, indirectly involved, consideration had been given to include Israel in the Arab gas pipeline. And I'm just going to show you the um, uh, figure; you will understand how it uh, how the gas was. You know, uh, uh, was thought to uh, be transferred to Israel. But of course, Syria was opposed to it, and that plan was shot down. So ENG built a 60 kilometer undersea pipeline from northern Sinai, Al Arish, to Ashkelon in southwest Israel on the Mediterranean. So uh, to transport gas contracted with the ISC. Gas started to flow through the pipeline in July 2008. But within a year, EMG defaulted on its obligation because the Egyptian company demanded a price raise. uh, There were accusations that uh, the gas was sold to Israel at a very low price, subsidized price, and Egypt, Egyptian people, were losing a lot of money. So the uh, eGas and eGPC uh, pressured emg to renegotiate the con- uh, for renegotiation of the contract and the contract was renegotiated now IEC signed an updated agreement and gas again began to f- uh, began to flow so until the political upheavals in 2011 uh, uh, egyptian supplies were coming into israel at an even rate and the supply reached full capacity in 2010, so much so that e-gas and eGPC were supplying 43% of the gas requirements in Israel. So this is the Al Aresh pipeline. This is the Arab Gas pipeline. This is the internal pipeline that uh, and, uh, that links links up with al aresh and you have this Arab Pipeline going all the way to Syria. It's a functional pipeline. So, now, uh, this deal unraveled very soon uh, with the uh, onset of the Arab Spring. Because uh, uh, this deal was, of course, uh, the target of attack by the Egyptian opposition, attack uh, as a political attack by the opposition. They wanted the government to renegotiate the contract or to stop, uh, stop uh, dispensing gas altogether. In April 2012, EMG told uh, IEC, Israel Electric Company, that Egyptian gas companies had refused to supply gas to it and they had terminated the contract. Now Israel pulled the Egyptian companies and EMG to the international arbitration and also got a compensation. But that compensation again was uh, traded off for, uh, for supply, reverse supply, which I'm going to talk about later. Now, uh, in the, uh, now that uh, in the backdrop of the disruption in supply uh, in 2012, uh, Israel drew a lot of gas from Mary B field, which was which had come online in 2004, such that in, by the end of 2012, Mary B was depleted, and uh, and uh, Tamar was not developed yet. So in uh, in the summer of 2012, Israel faced energy crunch. The electricity power uh, supply was severely disrupted. Now, in the meantime, Israel also bid the FLNG to import gas off the coast of Hadera in the north, way up north in Hadera. Now, this is operated, this FLNG uh, terminal is operated by the Israel Natural Gas Lines and uh, is supplied by British Petroleum from its uh, facility in Trinidad and Tobago the only energy importer is the iacn no private uh, mm, uh, private uh, you know uh, there's no private import of gas from uh, flng and now uh, Hadera flng was meant to be uh, emergency backup but now it's an integral part of israel's energy security now i'll talk about the second uh, the proximity of source that is your source should be should be proximate and near to you now, the nearest source of energy supply is the Middle Eastern region itself, rich in oil and gas. Until 1970, and today's is Israel's arch enemy, uh, Iran was the main supplier. Now, crude oil was shipped to Eilat, crude oil was shipped to Eilat from Iran and uh, then it was, uh, and then a pipeline. Uh, you know, uh, then it was pumped into a pipeline, which brought the Iranian crude uh, to the Haifa and Ashdod refineries. Actually, there were two pipelines here. I have just shown this just for representation and purpose. There, there were two pipelines. One was operational; uh, began operations in 1958. That carried crude to uh, the Haifa refinery. Now, in 1967, when the Sinai, uh, when the. Uh, um, uh, what is this? Uh, it escapes me. Anyway, now, uh, when Iran couldn't ship oil through the Suez Canal, okay, I forget. When, uh, uh, when uh, Iran couldn't ship oil through the Suez Canal, uh, an alternative route was found. And it shipped, uh, shipped the um, crude oil through the pipeline from Elath to Ashdod. So uh, when, the, uh, when there was oil embargo and, and there was closure of the uh, Suez Canal. So this partnership came to an end in 1975, a sudden end. And uh, um, uh, the, the pipeline assets that were created by uh, by EAPC. Uh, this company was uh, seized by Israel and the assets where foreign assets were sold off, and now it is in Israeli control. We don't know. I tried to look whether this pipeline was still in operation, whether Israel was receiving uh, crude oil at Elad, but I didn't find much uh, to tell you. So, this was what was happening in 1979. Now, uh, uh, for a few years, these Egyptian uh, oil fields in Sinai were another source. From 1967, uh, 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 Arab-Israeli War to uh, the Camp David Peace Accord, uh, Israel was able to exploit uh, Sinai oil fields. Uh, which, According to the Egyptian Petroleum Authority, Israel managed to produce 165 million barrels of crude oil in that period and 70 billion cubic feet of gas, exploiting the occupied Sinai, which was worth about 15 billion in today's uh, terms. These oil fields uh, supplied a quarter of Israel's energy requirement in 1978 which is a large amount. With the uh, normalization of Egyptian-Israeli relations, Israel received oil consignments from Egypt, Egyptian fields, through the uh, Elat-Eshkolon pipeline. And it substituted for the loss of Iranian oil. And uh, uh, the, uh, the sale of oil was included in the Camp David agreements. However, with the out- outbreak of the first intifada in 1989, the, uh, this trading relationship was terminated. Israel was able to exploit the Abu Rudayas oil field. These are oil and gas fields here in the Sinai. Another instance that reveals Israel's pursuit of energy uh, in its proximate area is a negotiation with British Gas Group uh, that held the license to Gaza Marine fields. Now there are two fields in Gaza's territorial waters, Gaza Marine 1 and Gaza Marine 2. Gaza Marine the uh, uh, two fields and one field of course overlaps with Israeli territorial uh, waters, in the NOAA field. But these fields were discovered in 1999, approximately the same time as the Meribee field and Noah fields were discovered. So it was generally believed that Israel would buy this gas, process this gas and also supply it to the Palestinian territories. That was the sort of unsaid arrangement. Because Israel believed that uh, the Meribee field would soon run out, it would fall short of gas, so this was an approximate source that it could use. So over the years, however, uh, with the beginning of Al-Aqsa Intifada in uh, in 2000, Israel began to uh, block the development of Gaza Marine Field, saying that the revenue from gas development would fall into the hands of uh, Palestinian, you know, Palestinian fighters and Israel fighters, and uh, and. uh, uh, that the development of gas is not conducive to the security of Israel. Now Israel, uh, and also in the meantime now, Israel had made two discoveries, Tamar and Leviathan, the big fields, and it had no need for Gaza marine gas. Now Israel says that it will allow the development of, uh, allow is an important word here, allow the development of Gaza marine uh, fields as part of large peace agreement that it will sign in future with the Palestinians. We do not know where, when it will be. So we do not know when the Gaza Marine fields will be taken So this is the Gaza Marine 1 and that is the Gaza Marine 2, a smaller field which overlaps with the North field. What you said after 2009, the Leviathan and the uh, Tamar were used by Israel. So I'm wondering. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Leviathan and Tamar are firmly in Israeli waters, economic waters. Right, so I'm wondering. If no, this this is Gaza Marine. Gaza Marine 1 and Gaza Marine 2, a smaller field, and this is Gaza Marine. These are Gaza Marine fields. And one, uh, uh, Gaza Marine, it Two, uh, overlaps with NOAA field. NOAA is of course depleted now.
0: How, how far? How many miles from shore are
1: there? This is about 15 uh, multiple miles.
0: Yeah.
1: So, uh, now uh, search for an indigenous supply source. That is the third aspect of Israeli security strategy. And uh, even during the mandate period, when the, uh, when, uh, the uh, uh, when the when uh, the pioneers were trying to develop uh, were trying to develop a proto state efforts were made to explore the oil and gas fields so this ex- uh, exploration continued in the 1950s and 1960s founded on the belief that uh, oil was found in abundance in the middle east and soon it will also be found in israel but the real breakthrough came with the, uh, in the late 1990s with the discovery of Mary Bee and Noah Field. With the discovery of fields in the Mary B fields in 1999 and 2000. June 1999, Noah Field was discovered and in, uh, uh, in February 2000, the, uh, the other field, the Mary Bee field was discovered. So, Israeli, Israeli exploration has continued. Uh, since then and uh, now there, there is about uh, 950 BCM of uh, 2P reserves were discovered in 2012 2P as improved and probable reserves which can be expected According to Israel's Ministry of Energy the natural gas supply could be as high as 14, you know, uh, including the contingent and prospective resources could be as high as 1480 bcm. Um, shale gas deposits have been discovered, uh, reportedly discovered in the Golan Heights, but there are problems in the ex, uh, of how it can be extracted, and also uh, environmental groups in Golan are against the development of shale industry there. Why? Because you know it is a nesting place for rare birds. So um, that's why they believe that the environment of Poland would be destroyed if a fracking, if uh, you know fracking, a fracking industry is set up there. Now, discovery uh, of Mary gas field in February 2000, contains a con- uh, containing about 25 to 30 bcm, really heralded a new era in Israel's energy security. It began producing in 2014, and that marked the beginning of the use of gas in the Israeli economy. Really, some gas was used in the 70s, uh, locally produced gas, but that was minuscule. Now, that uh, in 2000 really marks the beginning of the use of gas. So when the uh, giant Tamar field was discovered, electricity produced from natural gas, uh, you know, rose so to 43.1%. Now it is 63%. Uh, percent. So uh, the discovery of Leviathan in 2010, uh, 50 kilometers of the Tamar, contains about 500 BCM of gas and uh, smaller fields uh, were discovered in 2012 and 13, And uh, so um, these fields have bolstered, really strengthened Israel's energy security and also you know, given Israel the potential to export some gas. And we are going to talk about export a little later. And uh, Israel has already established the institutional, legal, and financial regimes for the natural gas sector. So Israel has thoroughly revised the taxation regime for companies engaged in exploration and production of natural gas. So it's earning uh, a lot of uh, revenues from the state of Israel. And I have discussed the, in my second chapter of my book how these uh, legal and fiscal regimes were uh, put in place and the politics uh, involved. These are this is a list of Israeli natural gas fields. What you you this field uh, they all they uh, they are they're listed here. Noah and Mary B, of course, are depleted. Tamar is producing fields, a producing field, and Leviathan is under development. Between two thousand four and two thousand eight, mm, uh, uh, sorry, it should be two thousand twelve. Economy relied on Mary B and Noah. For uh, electricity production. Since April 2003, Tamar is the main source of natural gas supply to Israel. Point, uh, 10.35 BCM, uh, it produced 10.35 BCM in 2017, and rest came from the C link, the FLNG link. There are three additional production wells now, Tamar deb- developers are expanding the field, and there are three additional production wells that are undergoing uh, drilling and development. Now, the as as natural gas supply is dependent at the moment solely on one source, that is the tamar supply. This is uh, the tamar gas field and uh, uh, it's uh, just representational purpose. And now, uh, there are a few pipelines coming from the fields to the tamar gas. Treatment platform. These are uh, the refurbished Mary B and NOAA platforms. And from there, uh, you can see a single flow line uh, uh, carries the uh, processed gas to Ashdod Terminal. So, uh, uh, Tamar project. Uh, Now, as I said, consists of a system of underwater pipes, and production. uh, Then these pipes come to the production uh, production rig, and from there, a single flow line carries that gas to the to to the receiving point at Ashford. So, any malfunction in this flow line have uh, uh, you know can uh, can disrupt the uh, economy uh, the power production and uh, in industrial activities
0: exactly two years ago there was a disruption.
1: yes a disruption in November 2017 there was a disruption for two weeks so uh, so uh, what the government is doing is to okay. So uh, to uh, now, uh, once uh, the uh, other three wells are developed, there is going to be another flow line uh, to the receiving station in Ashdod. Now, uh, gas is expected to flow from Leviathan at the end of two thousand nineteen, and this reservoir will not only boost Israel's energy security uh, uh, in the domestic market. But also serve as an export source for Israel, to Israel's immediate neighbors. In addition, Karish and Tanim reservoirs, which have 60 bcm and 25 bcm of gas, are intended only for the domestic market. Tamar and levithan can, ex- uh, you know, pro- uh, production from Tamar and Leviathan can be exported but Karish and tanin it is a gas framework was developed and within the gas framework it was agreed that Karish and tanin will only supply for the local market supply sorry supply to the local market in parallel a government is pro- providing subsidy to expand gas distribution network and it will help the new customers to sign up to uh, uh, to receive gas from these two new fields, unless you have uh, you have you know contracts, the fields are not uh, economical mm-hmm. to develop. You need contracts. So um, Karish uh, and Tani Developers, are, uh, which is a uh, uh, Greek uh, company, they have signed contracts with, um, and I provided the details of the contract in my book they have signed contract to receive oil from sorry seed gas from parish uh, and tanin and once those contracts are uh, you know uh, finalized uh, the uh, Energon developers then uh, Energan will begin developing these fields so when, uh, once tanin and karesh uh, gas from tanin and karesh comes into the market it will uh, uh, dramatically improve israel's uh, gas supply and uh, energy security. Now this is what the gas market will uh, look like in 2021. You know, when uh, uh, when the Kanish and Tanin come online, Leviathan is developed and Tamar's the wells are dug. Leviathan production uh, 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 processing platform is close to uh, to the be shore because of security reasons. Now this is uh, a, a network of pipelines that I want, want to show you. And this is the major trunk line. This is the trunk line which carries gas to major consumers, big industrial producers. From here, the reception at Ashdod to uh, to IAC's. Um, uh, Rottenberg uh, power station, okay, and uh, to uh, Hadera power station and to other consumers in Or etc. And these are all owned by the Israel natural gas line. This line began in 2017. It's a new line. And newer industrial consumers will connect to this gas uh, you know, uh, gas lines, and they'll be, they'll shift from uh, using, i uh, say, uh, fuel oil and diesel to using natural gas.
0: So Energon's contracts are mainly with domestic users? Investors? Yes, absolutely, domestic
1: users, uh, independent power producers, uh, and uh, also, uh, also with uh, independent power producers really and also with distributed gen- generation, co-generation producers. So fourth uh, is the uh, diversification of energy supply and it really uh, and it mainly uh, involves integration of renewable energy into Israel's uh, primary energy, uh, uh, primary energy consumption that is uh, increase the uh, percentage of renewable energy in Israel's primary energy consumption. Now uh, Israel will uh, reduce the use of coal uh, for electricity production and uh, in Hadera and Eskelon's uh, uh, power station and shift to natural gas. Some already uh, a few units have already uh, started using natural gas. Use of oil in uh, Israel's transportation uh, sector will be, uh, will be soon eliminated. Um, uh, that's what the, uh, in, within 50 years, that's what the mm, uh, Israeli leaders are talking about. And, uh, but the development of renewable energy in Israel has lagged behind, lagged in Israel as compared to OECD countries. Why? Uh, because of uh, you know bureaucratic difficulties, uh, etc. That uh, that uh, renewable energy has not been able uh, to really take off, despite the fact that uh, the country passed the first solar energy legislation in 1980 in the backdrop of the uh, the revolution and uh, also the uh, oil crisis of 1973. This uh, legislation required residential buildings up to 27 meters to install uh, solar power heaters to reduce dependence on uh, imported oil for heating purposes. Now, uh, it's well known that Israel is a leader in solar water heating technology. About 85% of Israeli households use solar water heater. Despite this, uh, and the uh, renewable uh, solar energy has not been able to take off as much as it should have Uh, and uh, it's because of bureaucratic apathy and lack of incentives, but this is changing. For years, Israeli inventors developed cutting-edge solar energy technology and took their expertise abroad because they found it too difficult to implement their ideas at home. However, this is changing with a series of governmental decisions aimed at generating electricity, more electricity from renewable energy. Uh, One is the Israel National Plan for Implementation of the Paris Agreement. Now, this has three primary targets. One is to uh, is to increase energy efficiency by 17%. It calls for the development of renewable energy and it demands the shift of 20% of private-public transportation uh, to fuel-efficient vehicles and, uh, and natural gas. So, uh, the 2016 National Plan envisages that the renewable uh, sources will account for uh, about of the uh, total uh, energy used in electricity consumption As of 2017, only 25% of electricity is generated from uh, renewables It is far below the OECD goals Even that goal of 17% by 2030 is far below the OECD goal of 20% energy from renewable sources by 2020 and 27% by 2030. Now, Israeli government has prioritized uh, integration of renewables to the grid. Uh, It is well known that it's difficult to integrate uh, renewable energy into the grid because of the variable production of renewable energy. But renewable energy producers can now supply to the national grid as and when they produce. Israel is also the fastest growing distributed solar generation. Now, well, for those of you who are probably not aware of what distributed solar is, now, and distributed solar energy is the, uh, uh, production is, um, is when uh, electricity produced from solar is com- consumed at the site of production say uh, a photovoltaic, uh, uh, photo uh, PV um, installation on the rooftop can also be called distributed solar because it's produced and consumed. In, um, in some countries, uh, in some places in India, if you produce, uh, um, uh, produce more uh, energy, more uh, electricity than you can consume, you can actually sell the energy to the grid under a purchasing, uh, power purchasing agreement. You can, uh, and then you have a net metering where you sell energy and you can earn a, a revenue. A tariff. So Israel, that's...
0: Distributed. Israel, also,
1: huh? In Israel that also exists. No, in Israel that is, I mean, this I mean, it doesn't exist. But distributed solar as in, uh, it is being, uh, it's growing. But I am not sure whether net metering is there in Israel. In India, I know net metering is there in some places, in some areas. You, in, in Bangalore, in Karnataka state in India, you have net metering. So solar photovoltaic, um, the largest solar plants are in Arawa Valley and Negev Desert in the south. And they apply different methods to collect solar energy. There are so, uh, uh, photovoltaic farms, and there is, uh, you know, uh, there is parabolic mirror farms where solar energy is collected and focused onto a tar. You know, those kind of uh, there are different methods to uh, uh, solar f- uh, farming in Israel. So solar photovoltaic has steadily grown from generating 30 gigawatt hour to now 15.44 gigawatt hour in 2016. As of now, there are only two wind farms, uh, which were built in 1990, are active. Fifteen wind projects are in uh, different uh, different stages of construction, and although although the potential of wind energy in Israel is high, it's as high as uh, 1,000 megawatt. Uh, wind turbines are opposed uh, within Israel by environmental organizations who believe that uh, uh, Golan, Golan Heights is the best for uh, farming uh, wind energy, but there are rare birds there and environmental organizations are concerned about injury to rare birds in Golan. Despite the development of, uh, you know, of solar and wind energy, Israel will probably miss the goal of 10% of power from renewable energy by 2020. It's now, in 19, 2019, it is 2.5%.
0: Uh, well since you made a mention of that the uh, OECD and their goal of 20% in just a few months what's their number at the moment, actual moment in
1: Germany it's 30, the 32% yeah
0: yeah and what in
1: 2016
0: what about the other countries
1: other countries they are pretty high in mm-hmm. 20s right. so uh, uh, and now uh, we come to the uh, fourth uh, aspect of energy security, that is physical security of energy installations. So these uh, offshore uh, gas is, uh, infrastructure is very crucial to Israel's energy security. And therefore, uh, if an enemy attacks the, these installations, it can be a significant achievement. And therefore, uh, and, uh, it, uh, they are particularly vulnerable, these gas rates, because they are very big, substantial in size, and at a distance from the shore. They can't, cannot be protected immediately. Israel's vulnerability in the north had two-pronged. First, a, tes- a tussle with Lebanon over the delim- delimitation of EEZ, exclusive economic zone. And secondly, from possible attacks by Hezbollah. In 2016, and why I am s- saying in Hezbollah, because in 2016, while taking part in the naval blockade of Lebanese ports, INF um, uh, uh, Israel Navy ship Hanit was hit by surface-to-sea anti-ship uh, Iranian-made version of Chinese C-80 missile. So it was damaged, the INS Hanit was damaged. And, uh, and there is a, a strong possibility, uh, you know, at least the Israeli, um, Israelis believe that, that they are very vulnerable on their northern border and, the, and vulnerable at sea. So uh, in a boost to Navy, Navy is not, uh, in a boost to Navy, uh, Israel ordered three German-made corvette warships. Uh, called SAR-6 to defend the gas rigs. Uh, so, and uh, it also, uh, Pentagon also um, uh, approved the sale of Tsikorsky-8 uh, Tsikorsky Seahawk uh, helicopters. Now, um, uh, it is assumed that these uh, um, corvettes, German-made corvettes would be uh, able to use these Seahawk helicopters. So, it is also trying to acclimatize the SAR 5 uh, warships, uh, Lahav, Elat, and Hanid, to accommodate uh, Sarkozy helicopters. So, it will ha- have a fleet uh, very, you know, uh, to protect the uh, gas rigs. Now, IMS Lahav is also fitted with a battery of Iron tone uh, anti missile system in November 2017 and that adds another operational layer uh, of security to the defense of the rigs. Now, fifth and final is energy relations with the neighboring countries. How does that improve Israel's energy security? Now, Israel believes that uh, it can leverage gas export to improve political relations in the region. So, Israel, uh, so gas is an instrument of Instrument of uh, foreign policy. Now, gas discoveries, we already know, has made Israel self sufficient in natural gas supply for many years. So, uh, um, Israeli policymakers believe that it can foster cooperation with regional adversaries. But can economics outflank politics? That's the question here. Will real politics under, under, underpinned by gas requirement and security lead Israel's regional enemies to ignore issues that have redeveloped their relations for a long time? These two questions are very important when from export of, Israel from, uh, export of uh, gas from Israeli shores is concerned. The idea of economic peace Israeli policymakers have repeatedly expressed their belief in economic peace, that is by fulfilling the energy demand of its neighbors, it can transform the relationship based on mutual interest, seller and buyer, and also underpinned by a long-term gas supply. So if there is a contract, uh, not uh, the buyer wouldn't like to break that contract. But in case of Egypt, we have seen the contract was broken. But Israel was not the seller at that time, Israel was a recipient. So things might change. Uh, but many doubt the proposition that economic peace is a viable idea in Israeli relations with its neighbors. Uh, uh, so where does Israel look for export of this valuable resource? First, direct export pipelines to Jordan and Egypt, the proximate neighbors, and Turkey to us in north of Israel. And also Israel is thinking of exporting gas through Europe through a lengthy pipeline which will cross the Mediterranean, passing through Cyprus and um, touching Europe in Greece, that is through Crete. That is called the Eastman pipeline. Second, Israel is also vying to export gas to two, uh, Egypt's two liquefaction plants in, uh, in, the, uh, in the north of Egypt, in Idku and Damietta. There are two large liquefaction plants, and Israel wants to export gas there, and that gas can be liquefied and sold to Europe and Asian customers. That is one way of exporting gas. Now, Israeli developers have signed at least four export gas deals with Jordanian and Egyptian companies. And not that it's, now, these deals are, of course, are at the government to government uh, uh, level, constantly protesting against these deals, at least in Jordan. CC uh, does not allow any kind of protest, but if there was any leeway, there would be massive protests in Egypt as well. So, at present, Egypt is the most important pillar of, Egypt, of Israel's export strategy. It is geographically close. And uh, there can be easy transmission of gas through the Al Harish Eshkelon pipeline. Only the flow has to be reversed. But it's not so easy to reverse the flow, it requires engineering. And there have been uh, you know, constant, uh, some um, uh, you know, negotiations and some MOUs have been signed between the two parties. So, and for uh, Israel, the Jordanian market has al- always been the first destination for gas supplies. Why? Because there is, uh, Israel shares a long border and sh- security of Jordan is very important for Israel. If Jordan is stable, then there are no spillover security impact on Israel itself. So Jordan has always been, and it's not surprising that the first deal, gas deal, was with Jordan, the uh, Jordan, uh, Jordanian electricity company. So, Israel uh, signed an export deal to make use of the pipeline that is already in place with Egypt. And at uh, Tamar and, and there, gas from Tamar and Leviathan could be liquefied for export to Europe, Africa, or anywhere. So, these are the export routes. Uh, gas from Tamar and Leviathan could come to Ibku and Damieta. There is the uh, Ar- arish pipeline. Can come directly, can go to Egypt, Jahan Port. Can also go to Cyprus. Can come to Cyprus. A lot of possibilities out there. So uh, Turkey also has space for Israeli gas. It exports gas from uh, from Russia, Central Asia, and Iran. It's a huge. It's a massive gas consumer. Uh, about uh, consumed about 58.3, no, 53 BCM, around 53 BCM of gas in 2018, which used a large amount. Which is what the entire, uh, you know, more than what entire Mary B contained. Uh, the Mary B well contained. Okay, so uh, another uh, advantage of uh, transporting gas to uh, Turkey is that it can uh, it can go gas can from Turkey can go to Europe through the southern gas corridor through Tanab through trans adriatic pipeline. There are three pipelines that can send Israeli gas to Europe. So Turkey is uh, is an important, but uh, Turkey and Israel are now locked are locked on over a whole lot of political issues. So there was uh, they came uh, to the uh, to the brink of signing an agreement in 2017, but that couldn't go through because uh, of um, because the uh, you know Israeli because of the Jerusalem issue in December 2017, and uh, Turkish players then backed off. Turkish entity backed off from uh, from an agreement with Israeli gas developers. So Turkey is uh, sending gas to Turkey is really advantageous for uh, Israel. Israel can also export <coughs> to Europe uh, via the East Med pipeline, but there are many practical and economic challenges to that. This is the East Med pipeline. Economic challenges because uh, uh, who is going to fund this pipeline in the, in the era of depressed gas prices? And who's going to uh, uh, then, uh, uh, where will the gas come from? You need at least a 25-year contract for pipeline of this magnitude to be built. There, no, there are no gas contracts as yet. And, uh, and Israel does not have enough gas to send, It's just 950 BCM of 2P gas reserve, which is not enough for this pipeline. And Egypt is not interested in this pipeline because it has two liquefaction terminals which are lying idle for quite some time, which were lying idle from 2014 to 2017 for good three years. And, the, um, and, the, and uh, Egypt want to, uh, wants to use the gas it has discovered in Zohar Field, I wonder if you've heard about the Zohar Supergiant Field. In, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, and it wants uh, you know, to run the two uh, run the two liquefaction terminal in the north. So Egypt is not really interested in uh, in this pipeline. But it was Prime Minister Netanyahu's project, and he really pushed it. But the underlying aspect of East Med pipeline was to improve political relations in the region. To sum up, uh, now. Uh, with the quick uh, adoption of natural gas has of course alleviated the need for imported fossil fuels and reduced dependence on imported oil and gas. But, um, uh, but uh, transportation in Israel is still dependent on imported oil and that is, uh, uh, that is, uh, and that is one aspect of Israeli vulnerability to uh, supply of energy. Second, Israeli energy mix is changing natural gas has substituted coal and oil in the Israeli economy. Natural gas has become a fuel of choice for electricity production. While renewable energy has uh, made uh, a dent in the primary energy mix, it's still very small and uh, Israel uh, is constantly uh, looking for ways to develop its renewable sources. While Israel uh, emphasizes reliability and affordability of energy, diversification of energy supply is also very important. And ensuring non-dependent on a single source or a particular type of energy must be avoided in the Israeli security uh, security strategy. And uh, Israel is looking looking to develop the renewable sector, especially solar energy. So export is meant to build relations and boost, uh, boost the exploration and production of gas. With the more export, more companies would come into uh, Israeli Israel in to explore oil and gas. If there are no contracts, if there are no, if there is uh, the usage in Israel is saturated, even if there are gas reserves or oil reserves, companies will not develop because they are into oil and gas business for profit. So the export is also a very important part of
2: Israeli security, energy security strategy. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Ashwarya, for such a uh, detailed uh, presentation on uh, Israel's energy security historical uh, perspective that he gave us that who were the traditional partners and historical partners of uh, Israel uh, up to now and how natural gas discovery changed the whole dynamic of energy mix in Israel. Uh, she also gave us a very good brief on energy transition in Israel and how Israel is looking into using uh, of more uh, renewables uh, resources, especially in its grid and um, power generations. Uh, also the export and how the export could change the dynamics of uh, relation with neighbors and national security and uh, that's exactly a perfect case you like to make for students here uh, obviously here is the School of uh, National uh, Security and Foreign Policy and the aim is to uh, the, the course of energy security that has been uh, recently started in the uh, uh, Institute of World Politics is to help the students to uh, look into the energy map of the world and energy security plans of the world uh, and countries and look into different energy flows uh, to help them when they're looking into different aspects of national security, global security and uh, foreign policy because as we were like uh, witnessing that, how much politics, national security, and diplomacy of countries is very much interrelated with their uh, energy uh, security map, uh, their demand, their supply, their resources, imports, and exports. So I would like to now open um, the session for questions. Yes, sir, please. Thank
0: you so much. Uh, Charles Sills, Eurasia Center. Can you talk about the uh, uh, growing collaboration between Israel, Greece, and Cyprus on the oil and Gas fields in the eastern Mediterranean, and also the recent uh, interventions, if you will, by Turkey in those waters, and what are Israel's options for countering Turkey's, if you want to call it, meddling or whatever.
1: Israel, uh, Greece, and Cyprus are collaborating uh, or uh, would like. Uh, to uh, build this uh, EastMed pipeline. Now, the EastMed pipeline is as much as it is difficult to build, but technically not impossible, it requires, uh, it requires funding. The European Union could fund this project if it believed that it would be viable. The European Union uh, uh, and uh, there was some talk of European Union wanting to fund this project. But the problem with the East Med pipeline is that uh, there is not enough gas if there is, uh, if Egypt, which, is the, uh, which has the largest amount of gas in the Mediterranean region, if it is not part of it. So even in, in Cyprus, the amount of gas that has been really discovered is, um, uh, is the Aphrodite field, Aphrodite and which has about 25 BCM of gas. It's not enough. Israel it can spare only 450 BCM by Shema committee. It allowed only 450 BCM of gas to be exported. So and 450 and, uh, uh, 450 and uh, 25 is 475 BCM. Every day, uh, this pipeline must carry 15 BCM of gas to be viable. So if you divide 475 by 15, how many years it would be, the pipeline would be viable. Egypt has a lot of gas, but Egypt wants to run the liquefaction terminals, want to liquefy gas and send it to Europe, which it has been doing. So Egypt is not interested in easement gas. And now Greece has its own problems with Turkey. Israel is having its own political issues with uh, with Turkey. And Cyprus has political uh, problems with southern Cyprus. The Republic of Cyprus has political problems with Turkey. So now, uh, Turkey is like the bogeyman here. Bringing all these three together. It was only when the Turkish option uh, was no longer available. That the East Med really acquired, that um, really began to be really talked about, and became significant in the export map of Israel. Otherwise, the primary uh, uh, the idea was to uh, to export gas to Turkey through the pipeline. Now, this pipeline from Turkey to Israel is facile; it's very easy to build. The um, the um, you know the seabed is shallow. And it uh, and the pipeline can easily be built. Uh, and uh, Turkey and Israel also had good political relations before 2010. So this was, um, in fact, uh, uh, Turkey's Zorlu Group has an investment in one of the uh, uh, power stations in Israel, and. Uh, 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 and some entities in Turkey had expressed interest in developing, in, uh, in building a pipeline from Leviathan to Mersin port way back in 2012, 13, and 14. When, uh, but uh, really this idea of a pipeline from Leviathan to Turkey really collapsed with, uh, uh, sin, you know, really collapsed with this belligerent uh, rhetoric coming out from uh, President Erdogan and the Prime Minister, you know, with this war of words that is going on. So uh, when that option really doesn't uh, seem uh, probable, then the EastMed came into prominence. But EastMed has its own problems, also doable. But where is the gas, is the first question. And second, uh, um, uh, second, who is going to fund it? Where are the contracts? So companies sending gas and buying gas are really not enthusiastic about the East Med because uh, because there's so much there's so much you know uh, there's so much uncertainty there. So uh, to uh, if you see there is only about four twenty five if uh, if uh, Cyprus wants to sell all its gas and not use internally, so we are not sure. So that we're, apart from technical and economic problems, where is the gas to build, the, uh, build such a huge pipeline? I hope that
0: answers your question. A question about capitalization of pipeline as opposed to a liquid natural gas generation plant. Egypt has two that are roughly idle. Why doesn't Israel build its own liquid generation plant that eliminates the uncertainty of pipeline and capitalization of pipeline. Yes,
1: there are two problems there. Israeli energy plant. Those LNG plants are huge and Israel doesn't have uh, that much coastline to build the energy plant, first. And second, there is a very uh, strong not-in-my-backyard movement in the uh, coastal regions of Israel even uh, there was uh, there was a very strong protest against Leviathan uh, processing platform uh, a few months ago in Israel, which is about only about 10 kilometers from the uh, shore. Uh, so there is a very strong not-in-my-backyard not uh, movement. And Israel is a democratic country, so the government has to take into account the issues of the people.
2: Please introduce yourself, if you
0: Go ahead. Last question. It's all very good. Yeah. Uh, my name is Benjamin Weil. Up until recently, the international advisor of the Israeli Minister of Energy. Um, I would just say about uh, Turkey two things that, based on uh, my understanding, is that number one, there's kind of uh, competitiveness in the Muslim world in the Middle East, especially between Sunni and Shiite, and there's a competitiveness between Egypt and Turkey. So that's also on becoming an energy hub in the region, and the other one is that Turkey feels left out, that everyone, there's a Bonanza here, Absolutely. and Turkey feels left out, and that's why we see more hostility towards Cyprus, and, yes. uh, and that's why uh, we brought
1: the US into the picture to defend yes. Exxon Absolutely. noble. I've discussed everything in the last chapter of my book, which uh. is about 45 pages, about hostility and uh, gas, again, Egypt uh, aspiration to become the gas hub. Uh, Turkey is already a gas hub with Tana and and the Southern gas corridor in, um, uh, uh, you know, the potential for the Southern gas corridor. So Turkey is on the verge of becoming a gas, the Rotterdam for gas, as it uh, wants to call itself. Egypt now has uh, discovered gas in Zohar gas field, the supergiant field, and other large fields have been discovered of late, and it is, it feels that gas from, uh, now it has also signed an agreement with um, Cyprus to bring gas from aphrodite field to the LNG plants uh, in Itku Itku and Tamiyata. So if um, Israel is, um, so so now Turkey, uh, sorry, Egypt believes that it can become a gas hub in the Mediterranean. Turkey is of course left out. Uh, Turkey came into this game very late because Turkey was more interested in gas in Azerbaijan, bringing gas from uh, Trans-Caspian gas from Turkmenistan, and uh, you know, uh, and the Russian gas coming through the uh, uh, through uh, Georgia and also another pipeline is um, being built uh, through uh, through the Black Sea. But as Egypt, of course, there is. Uh, uh, uh there is political competition between the two countries uh, politically they don't see eye to eye anymore
2: thank you. We, we if it's, we keep it short maybe we can just take the last
1: yes, question
0: thank, thank you paris michaels i'm a student here at iwp uh,
1: no one else is
0: going to pay for 25-year contracts to build the East line line uh through legitimate i would call legitimate contractors so forth now who's going to do it with her?
1: Uh, who's going
0: to do it? I mean, who would be willing to fund that kind of tur- Turkish operation? Turkey's surrounding Cyprus with uh, exploration ships every day.
1: You mean pipeline from Israel to Turkey?
0: No. from yeah. um, tr- Through Turkey, the transmission lines that were supposed to go to Europe and, and help in other places. In other words, I don't see where the demand and where Turkey has a, really a leg to stand on. TANOP
1: is already operational. The Trans-Adriatic um, uh, Pipeline. The okay. Trans-Adriatic Pipeline is very much. So why much it, in
0: Cyprus? Cypriot?
1: There political reasons. Oh.
0: So
1: now the official uh, uh, official argument is that the uh, gas resources of which were discovered by the um, by southern Cyprus, right. gas resources belong to the entire um, entire island and uh, that southern Cyprus should uh, share the gas resources with. It has, um, with the northern part. But then uh, the Republic of Cyprus says that, well, we are willing to share. It is a foregone thing, right. but first, unify, let us unify the island. Mm. And there have been uh, many rounds of talks mm. and uh, um, United Nations mediated rounds of talks, but it has come to nothing. So Turkey is, and Turkey has a different, um, you know, a different map of uh, has mapped out the region very differently. It says that uh, the is continental shelf overlaps with uh, the uh, the Cyprus's, uh, you know, gas areas and all that. So there are many. Uh, so it has its own idea of how it's. going. Another problem is to pressurize Cyprus. The, the aim is to pressurize Cyprus politically, keep it under pressure. It's not about gas there. For Turkey, it wants to be a, um, a you know, it wants to uh, be the important player that it, it believes it is. So every all important things happening in the Mediterranean must take its position as a large country into account. It is a Mediterranean country as well as a Black Sea country as well as a European country as well as a bridge between East and West. So it has a notion of self-importance, and especially with everyone. So it wants to be a part of it. It's more political than economic. Turkey doesn't lack gas. Well, thank you again
2: for being here today and for your presentation.